This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. You with Reality Check Radio on Counterculture. It is now time each week, as we do, to talk all things media and culture with my partner in crime, Marty Gibson. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thanks. Good. I'm good too. I'm good too. I uh, mixed it up this weekend and uh, didn't do the weekend papers. I decided to do a dive through Radio New Zealand to see what I came up with. And we did come up actually with a lot of the similar things. But the biggest thing, I think, let's kick off with politics, poll. There was a poll out. Fancy that, leading into an election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the blandness of politics, horrific crime, and yeah, ongoing menticide of youth around climate change. That was the main themes that I drew out of reading the papers um, over the last week. And but also, yeah, um, too, some of the most boring policy decisions. You know, one of New Zealand's most insightful journalists at the moment is uh, Heather Duplessis Allen. I think, you know, her, her columns normally uh, have. Just good judgment and and good assessment. She summed it up well when she said, in the last two weeks, Labor's made a hash of convincing voters that understands how grindingly hard the cost of living crisis is. Megan Woods' five tips to find money in weird weird places was so tone deaf it belonged to an Amdram opera. Kiwis are beyond being told to unplug appliances to save on electricity costs. They've been dealing with soaring inflation for two years now. The people who are falling behind on their mortgage repayments or taking on two jobs over six days to feed the kids, have already turned the hot water off on the washing machines, telling them to find money in places they've already exhausted is not just pointless, it's insulting. Yeah, she hit the nail on the head there. Mm. And then, you know, you sort of contrast that, and it's, I think it is meant to be a light-hearted thing, but Beehive Diaries, oh, Claire Trevor, you know, she's um, rather more of a blunt instrument than uh, to... Uh, Heather Duplissy-Allen's well-sharpened knife. She wrote, Beth, a staffer in the Beehive who makes Robertson's Budget Day cheese rolls each year, duly delivered six of them on Monday, freshly buttered and toasted, a traditional cheese roll wrapped around a sausage. The verdict was, um, edible, enough to eat two. However, they also proved that sometimes two rights do make a wrong. Cheese roll, good. Sausage roll, good. Cheese sausage roll, not so good. We thank Beth for her service to the nation and for the normal cheese rolls she included, but note, Hipkins is not necessarily the right person to have as a culinary muse. Oh, dear. The banality of evil. He likes his sausage rolls. What's he going to do to me? Um, she did have a more detailed um, analysis on, you know, reviewing, uh, this was in Weekend Herald, uh, reviewing Chris Hipkins' first four months Hipkins has a good political instinct and trusts that he is very good in Parliament, where he has long been one of Labour's best operators. But sometimes it is not enough. He has been caught out on questions around details of policies or on basic economic questions such as not knowing how much the government spent in a year. Right. It's because he's one of those blank screens that doesn't have a CPU. The CPU's uh, at Klaus Schwab's place. I can't expect him to to have much um, memory to draw on. It is so concerning because where do, where does somebody go? You know, we, and when we look at the polls uh, and the trends of those polls over the last little bit, I mean, there has been a steady decline with Labour with this gentle sort of uptick because obviously people are finding Chris Hipkins just so boring. Is it me? He is so unbelievably uninspiring. And not only that, it's let's look at the legacy of wrath and destruction that he has held in every single portfolio and in the five years that he's been kicking around office. I mean, education, well, disaster, out, health, a disaster, like police, a disaster. Right voice, you, you know, you don't scare anyone. And, and they think, well, what could he possibly do to me? Because, um, you know, he sounds harmless. His little beady eyes, yeah. his little Clinton haircut, you know, what's he going to do? We talked about the strategists the other week, 
about what mm. what are the strategists wanting to do. I I'm wondering whether they're wanting to bore us to death into the next election. I mean, you've got uh, Carmel Cipollone coming out with uh, stating that they're going to keep the retirement age where it is. Ah, that good old chestnut superannuation. Let's not change that because we might scare our silver-haired voters. Surprise, surprise. You know when Nationals are proposing to bring it in? I can't remember the date, but I subtracted my birth year off it and it came to 65. What a surprise, eh? We got screwed with student allowances. They disappeared as soon as I went to university. Then as soon as I paid off my student loan, they're interest-free now. Because with the super, when they they did those maths, because so for listeners, our birthdays are a week apart. I, I think we just squeaked in. Because it was the to the end of the financial year, and we're both March babies, so, um, but yeah, yeah. But you know what? I mean, shocker. But I mean, is it going to make any difference in the grander scheme of things? Uh, The other thing they came out with this week is the apprentice scheme that was bought out during COVID, and they're wanting to maintain that. They're obviously worried about the base. I think the base that they've always relied on to be there for them year in year out. They they're realizing are a bit wobbly on it. Labour or national? Labour. Yeah. So they've gone to two tried and true sort of chestnuts. And I mean, they they can't play the fees free anymore because that's been done. So, okay, let's do the apprenticeship scheme. That's obviously the next best. But where does that leave universities? Trump got elected, and that's what no one likes to say. Yeah, no. Well, it's that old Orwell observation from the road to Wigan Pier. You know, socialists don't love poor people. They just hate rich people who aren't them. You know, that Claire Trevitt article was interesting. It was interesting insight into Ardern. A staffer described Hipkins as uncomplicated to deal with. It was a contrast to Ardern, who liked to be all over every detail of every move and announcement. And then you get, yeah, Ardern avoided doing anything risky in front of the cameras. No eating, no photo ops requiring physical activity, except for running away from the podium when someone asked her a question about Hong Kong. That was the only time I'd ever seen her run. She once refused to stand near a calf on a dairy farm. But then you sort of further down, and you've got to, when, how long has Chris Hipkins been in Parliament? Must be getting close to 10 years, right? Oh, easy, yeah, because he was in opposition yep. for at least two terms, yeah. It says he has not yet built up a network of trusted business people he can sound out to gauge the mood or how a policy shift might go down. He needs to have that. Thus far, it seems his most frequent contact is with Auckland chamber head, Simon Bridges. What are the odds? How would you be paid for that long to represent people and not know any business people you can have a chat to? Apparently, he's got the same problem with the old bros. Yeah, he doesn't have a, a network of Māori he can uh, call up either. First ports of call were usually Willie Jackson, New Zealand's Al Sharpton. I guess that is the danger that you have when you live in a very, very confined echo chamber and bubble that is Wellington. Yeah. I mean, he's been an MP there. He's he lives pretty much his entire political life there. It is different, you know. Even in the student politician thing as well. I mean, that is one thing that we can say for the the fat controller that is Christopher Luxon. I'm sorry, he does. If you ever watch Thomas the Tank Engine, Sir Topham Hat. That's his name, isn't it? Sir Topham Hat. He yeah. just looks just like him. At least he's lived in the real world. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the yeah, corporate world, but it's, it's you know, yeah. outside of the Wellington Beltway bubble. He has, but, yeah, at the same time, I know I've talked about him being incapable of remembering that primary rule of sales where features tell, benefits sell. I just, like, Please, Labour National Party staffers, if you're listening to them, just put a sign on his wall. Features tell, benefits sell. And, you know, just take the air out of Labour's just easy criticism that all you care about money by, you know, talk less about money and more about the impact it has on But here's also the Duff Hands. You're always talking about the Duff Hands. Mm. A really great example of the Duff Hands this week has been these bilingual signs. So Simeon Brown, who I think, you know, is a little bright light for National, mm. he's, you know, he's actually... Yeah, I like Simeon Brown. Yeah, he's, and he's got energy and he's got a bit of spark about him and he's... You know um, it's getting whipped out of him by the whips? Which is a pity because I think he's, you know, he shows huge potential and he's quite likeable. You know, I, mm. all the things I've seen, he seems quite likeable. He's And he's done some really good work, cut-through work, 
as opposition spokesperson for transport. I mean, he was the one that highlighted that whole pothole issue and, you know, got all those photos sent in. I mean, he's clever. He's engaging. So he brought up concerns around the bilingual traffic signs. And he did say they should be in English and National would ditch the signs. Perfectly reasonable, perfectly clear. And then old Chrissy Bishop had to come in and clarify clarify the position stating that oh no it's not that we have anything against bilingual traffic signs um it's just that you know i think the money should be spent elsewhere Mm. it's just like chris you know really all you've gone and done is just confuse things it just it was a statement it was a good position leave it well alone and of course chippy chimes in and accuses and i quote national of dog whistling over bilingual road signs Good to throw a little bit of the vocabulary in there. If you need a dog whistle, Chris, there's one right there. Now, these signs, it's one of those, to me, nothing issues. A road sign needs to be read and understood by those who are on the road. I've just done a big road trip in the last week. I've been up to Auckland and back, and I've had to drive through the Napiutapo Road. And believe me, if you've not driven that road lately, it's not what it was. We've had a cyclone. Oh, I drove it through it on the way out in the dark. So I didn't see the devastation. It was a hairy experience because the road from Napier just prior to Tipahui was pretty ropey and I have to say not the most pleasant experience at sort of 6am in the morning but coming back was in the afternoon and you can actually see the level of devastation so firstly what those roading crews have been able to achieve is no short of a miracle to be brutally Mm. honest with you when you actually see the landscape in the bright cold light of day it is devastating what has happened but that road is dodgy and there is um, lots of temporary traffic lights there is it is literally road cones everywhere there is the road itself you cannot there is no quick trip to Taupo at all it's just you need to be careful your instincts and everything is honed to be completely safe now if there was a traffic sign up there that had two separate languages on it. I mean, it needs to be as clear as it can possibly be. I'm not saying that the Māori language isn't a relevant language. I'm not saying the Māori language isn't a beautiful language. But at the end of the day, when you've got to make split-second decisions to be safe, the last thing you want your brain to do is going, ah, what? Huh? What? Stop? You know, it's just wrong. Now, Hipkins fired back and said, oh, they have bilingual traffic signs all around the world. There's no difference in this. If you go to France, the traffic signs are in French and they're in English. Well, the French speak French and the international language is English. In this country, the number of people that are bilingual interreal to be able to understand what that is, is so small. And then we have people travel, tourists, they're driving our New Zealand roads, which even without a cyclone, aren't exactly lovely, big, beautiful European autobahns or expressways. So there are roads where you need to be on your game 100% of the time, and you're throwing in this obstacle where not only English is a second or third language, but they'll have absolutely no exposure to te reo whatsoever. Sure, pop it on a sign for vanity, you're entering Napier, Ahuriri, welcome to Heratonga, whatever it is that you want to have, that's fine, that's a vanity sign, good as gold. But on a sign that is there to help and aid drivers to keep them safe, I'm sorry, this is a disaster waiting to happen in my book. Okay, rant over. It's one of those things if I feel myself engaging with it, I always think, well, you know, Maori on signs, fewer Maori babies beaten to death. You know, I, I, uh, I think there are other priorities. I think we need to engage far more with um, Maori history of this country because Maori don't know it very well, let alone white folks. The names are a, a great part of that. We've got so many big problems. And as I said, any time I, I feel someone trying to get me excited about something, I, I'm just in the habit now of looking the other way. Uh, before we leave politics, I see our friend Mr Seymour is uh, trying to memory hole lots of things that he talked about and discussed. Uh, Isn't he the little stinked here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has just come out with a piece on the platform, and I think he's uh, – it's really interesting. I think he is trying to backtrack on 
things that he said in 2021. And he was riding high in the polls, speaking of polls. He was riding high in the polls. In September 2021, there was a poll. He was sitting just a whisker of 15% in support. Everyone thought he was a classic liberal who wouldn't be all in favour of mandatory experimental gene therapy. And he was playing his libertarian card. He was doing all of that. He, he His base was growing. Everything was, the world was shining on David until he showed himself to be the little authoritarian yeah. like everybody else. Yeah, to be an authoritarian, it turns out, rather yeah. than... And, I mean, that saw a shift in the polls. I actually pulled it up here. It saw a shift in the polls. Within six months, he went from just shy of 15% to around 7.5%. So his support halved mm. in that time. Now, he's been he's actually been gently clawing that support back but I think he kind of realised that he upset a surprisingly large pool of voters that are now feeling very politically homeless I'll put my hand up, that, that'll be me you know, I, Yeah, um, so that's me done for, for ACT, even though I like a lot of policies around education, I think they've got some great MPs but yeah, the, the gaslighting um, is, is, uh, is strong with this one Yes, these aren't the droids that you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, it is. I just found that really interesting. I, as I said, I think in last week's show, um, you're a day late and a dollar short, David. Sorry. Uh, I think there is, unless you are going to, to do something quite radical, you've burnt the trust of a lot of your voters and they're not going to come back. So it will be interesting to see what they do because there is a huge politically homeless portion. And I know I'm one of them on party votes. So I really don't know where I'm going to go. Well, and you, you and I have both been, I mean, you know, we, we certainly weren't at the forefront of that protest in Wellington, but I supported it. And I know a lot of people who didn't go down were the same. And, and, and you, you could hear all of that, as I said, gaslighting. Oh, it's just a tiny proportion of people who think that it's uh, unsafe to give pregnant women uh, an experimental medication when normally it takes at least 10 years in the normal population before they'll take it anywhere near a pregnant woman. Yeah, uh, and suddenly it's all safe. And he's come back to with the same old tropes that he has. He brought this up with his interview with Paul, and he said, a year after the violent breakup of the anti-mandate protests, there's a long tale of division and resentment. The easy answer is to dismiss the protest, judging by its worst members. That would ignore many other discontented but peaceful New Zealanders who were there and who supported them. So, like, oh, really, David, because you all, because this is who you were all about in that interview. Make no mistake, there were those who swung nooses at journalists shut down businesses already hammered by COVID restrictions for two years and harassed young women just walking to school. Well, young women can be harassed just walking to school by anybody. He's hammering those same tropes over and over again. If there was one idiot running around with the noose, that does not represent the entire thing. Now, he's trying to walk that back, but it's, no, it's too late, David. New Zealand needs just one Alex Antic, just one actual conviction politician yeah i mean I, I can understand why he did that he wants to get as many mps into power as he can and figures oh well we'll actually once we're in power we'll um you know be able to do all the good stuff but yeah the, the fact that he doesn't have the stones to risk being outside the herd and, and that is the point that i've made several times we've got some sort of selection process where in order to lead a major party in new zealand You've got to be in that 65% of people who keep hitting the electric shock button in the Yale experiment. Mm. They don't want independent thought in there. They want middle managers. In New Zealand, the, the number of sheep to people might be um, decreasing, but the number of politicians we've got who are actually sheep in wolves' clothing is worrying. It is. It is. Let's move on to some uh, weightier topics. I guess... With the, uh, with the weather we've been having, there's just a steady diet of climate change alarmism. And I saw the, um, the school climate strike. Tiny little bit of the paper. It was a really small story in the Weekend Herald about it. And it mentioned organiser Sophie Hanford. And I thought, well, who is Sophie Hanford? And it turns out, Sophie Hanford has a Bachelor of Communications from Victoria University, the home of pedophile John Money, majoring in political science. So New Zealand career politician starter pack. She flew to Thailand, she didn't do it by Zoom, to represent New Zealand through 
APEC Voices of the Future and was elected as a Kapiti District Councillor in 2018. So I presume she's about 23 now. So still in that messianic phase of childhood where you can see things very clearly in front of, uh, in terms of black and white. And uh, But the most interesting thing is she's a Labour Party staffer. She is, uh, she works for the Minister for Economic Development, uh, Barbara Edmonds. She's protesting economic development and uh, teaching children to see it as a uh, something pernicious that must be stopped at all costs. I've been reading this awesome book called How the World Works by a guy called Vaclav Smil. It talks about the five building blocks of civilization. But what these kids don't really understand as they stream through time with a comet tail of plastic crap streaming out behind them is how much energy they actually use. And so how um, quixotic what they're demanding is. The average person uses energy that if you if you convert it into what a human is capable of generating, the average person in a developed Western country uses the energy output of 700 people working full-time around the clock. So, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, we'll just, you know, instead of driving around, I'll bike. It's like, you've got to maybe be a little bit grateful for what energy is doing, but not starving. By the thing I'm fond of saying is there's no feminism without fossil fuels. Often, you know, I'll see feminists wanting to reduce fossil fuels. It's like, well, you know, once food security and physical security go, you're pretty much back to shelling nuts in the cave while uh, we men go out hunting. But as I've always maintained, this is an ideology, whether it be climate ideology or critical theory or critical race theory or gender studies, these are all idea pathogens which have their core within affluence and comfort. Yeah. Well, it's wooliness as well. I mean, I remember hearing when um, uh, Ginny, is it Ginny Anderson, the Minister of Police? Um, it is. Yeah, she's also the Minister for the Digital Economy, and she was asked by Jack Tame, you know, why they'd subsidised the video gaming industry. She said, we felt they offered great opportunities for the economy. We want to be a high-wage, low-emissions economy. One of the least quoted, but for me, it should be a T-shirt, quotes of Jacinda Ardern, which just summed up all of this wooliness is, in my mind, it's simple. And I mind it simple. And, yeah, when you're young, you can see things without nuance. And it's much easier, especially when you're going through that messianic phase that often leads young people to be frozen in time as as student politicians and then career politicians. National bad, labour good. And unfortunately, we've all got our shirt sleeves caught in the machinery of that bullshit. Mm. It's interesting you say that because I've just uh, finished talking to Marg um, Kuno from Resist Gender Education, and she was talking about how all of these ideas are being introduced, like in, particularly in terms of gender education, into these kids from year one. And the the line between play and learning has now been blurred. So, you know, these kids are introduced these ideas, which as she said, when you're a five and six year old, your thought is very binary. Yeah, it's a very pernicious little thing, isn't it? Because it's the, the weasel words in it, child-led play is kind of teacher-led play. You know, Māori are getting pulled along as well. I saw there was a Watia news article, Māori pushed tiriti focus in school climate strike. And I like to, well, I, I don't want to talk behind the bros' backs, so I, I, I uh, made a comment on that, that if Māori did more sums and fewer huckers, they would be annoyed to learn that pretty much everyone in the beehive is okay with borrowing, i.e. bankers create debt for our grandchildren, 30 times the total treaty settlements this decade. They're all for sending it to corrupt nuclear-armed nations that are building new coal-fired power stations via corrupt carbon markets, all to have zero impact on stated goal of reducing a trace gas that's vital to all life. You're getting played by the bankers, cuzzies, and you're going after the bait like eels into a hinaki. Not a single comment on that. Lots of likes. I think they know. And you've got slimy little hinaki masters like old Willie Jackson herding them into the hinaki because they're getting paid 300, 400 grand a year to do it. 
certainly something to watch. And I think, again, how many times have we said it doesn't matter what policy gets announced, whether it be climate or social, when it comes from it, it really is left or right, often the intention is the intention to improve actually makes the outcome vastly worse. And Māori have been screwed six ways to Sunday. I mean, there is no doubt about that. So in, in, a, in a way, they're almost doing it to themselves again. They're putting trust in one, you know, as you said, it's almost like a, um, what did you call them, a sheep and wolves clothing. Yeah, well, I mean, Shane Poe, you know, who I, I think, as I said, I've never met him, but I, I get the feeling he's a, He's a well-meaning soul, but he he wrote a story about getting a pistol pointed at him when he was uh, in a dive bar on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, and some bartender leaped over, you know, the bar obviously kind of used to gunplay and told him to bugger off, and he said, I don't want to see a world in which we would sooner raise a toast to a brave barman than limit widespread access to deadly weaponry. I guess he's not meaning putus there. Um, by the same token, I don't want to see one in which we get better at pulling, putting up sandbags before meaningly tackling the ever-present issue of climate change. It's like, as I quoted, uh, I think I did it on Talking Politics, you know, the dumbest comment uh, after the budget on climate change was James Shaw saying, we just haven't spent enough money to prevent climate change. Well, you know what they've got in common? None of them have science qualifications. Like our organiser Sophie Hanford studying uh, communications, majoring in political science. That's as close to science as they get. Remember when the COVID panic started to soften and I said very cynically to my husband, you just watch, climate will be back on the agenda because they need to keep the population in a certain level of fear in order to control. And we're seeing this now with climate. And every time there is a major weather event, they're ramping up, you know, and you're seeing it in the UK as well, that they every element of weather, if there's uh, going to be a bit of heavy rain, it's ramped up. If there's going to be high temperatures, the scale that they use to colour those temperatures is increased. Now, to be fair, on the rain front, uh, there was a rather interesting graph. It has been a wet year. You oh, get them. Incredible. Yeah. Incredibly wet. And I think we're currently in La Nina. We're, we're heading, I think, into an El Nino weather pattern. They'll all be complaining that there will be no rain next. Well, I, I mentioned to you on that article, they um, they said it's going to be the, you know, could be the hottest the world's ever seen. It's like, no, it'll be the hottest since you started your grass. Taking records. It looks like they're going up, which is about 30 years ago. Mm. Yeah, no, you'll ignore the medieval warm period. You'll ignore the Minoan warm period. And you will keep ignoring all of the barometric data that shows that storms were more severe and more frequent in the 18th century because it doesn't fit with the narrative. And I followed the climate change string and found old James Renwick, he was science communicator of the year, he had a cheery observation except from a book that was titled The Coast is Doomed. I was once interviewed for television while standing on the beach not far from my home. At one point, the interviewer said to me, so by the end of this century, all these houses we see along the beach here will be gone? It was a pretty confronting moment. Most of those houses have been there for decades. Each one is someone's home, and those people are part of my community. I paused and took a breath, looking up and down the beach before replying, yes, I said. Yeah, it's a, it's a menticide. It is a mental side, because here's the thing, I mean, in terms of a historic perspective, and look, believe me, I could be wrong, outside of the Younger Dryas, which happened at about 12,000 12, BC, yeah, sorry, yeah, BC. 12,000 years ago, so that's... Yeah, 12,000-ish, yeah, 11, whatever it was. So outside of that period of time, where we have all this astrological debris raining down on the Earth over hundreds of years which then broke, essentially ended that ice age, and the sea levels rose dramatically. When have we actually seen those things shift? I know that there are things, now are things being swamped or are they sinking in Venice? Sea level can't rise in one place and sink in another. There's a lot of weasel words in old uh, Communicator of the Year's article. You know, he, he talks about sea level rise when it's actually um, sinking ground or shifting riv river mouths. And, you know, it's the same with, those Pacific Islands who, you know, you see these earnest leaders saying, the, you know, West has got to do more on climate change at the UN. 
Never saying, well, you know, part of your problem, the reason it seems like sea level's rising is because you my did you know you killed parrotfish using dynamite and they stopped eating coral and shitting out sand and you kind of exported your sand now you're getting a bit of inundation it's not because uh of uh of my truck it's because you're fishing for parrotfish with dynamite it's just more bread and circuses isn't it our friends in climate more bread and circuses it is a thing there's a there was a a, a story in the sunday star times about a um, trans woman, so someone who was born a man in, in Ireland and you know always felt trans and remarried his wife, I guess presumably now in a lesbian relationship. Um, but the story was, we thought we'd be shunned, how wrong we were. And the story is basically like, oh, you know, we thought everyone was going to uh, isolate us or whatever. It turns out they were really nice. And I think... You know, that's the majority of New Zealanders who get called anti-trans when they sense that um, this creepy interest in children's sexuality uh, is deeply disgusting and wrong. Well, it's not about the people. It's about the ideology. Yeah, it is I think taking compassion for the people. Yeah, it's taking these ideas into places where I think are places that parents should own like sexual education of your children that for me is the domain of the parent not the domain of the government not the domain of the school not the domain of inside out that's mine yeah Back off. i read somewhere the role of a father is to preserve innocence but to actually have this level of education normalized in a very binary matter to very, very young children as if this is fact. And that is something, if you haven't had, a, if you've just tuned in now and you haven't had a chance to listen to the interview that I've just done with Marg, please do go back and have a listen on the replays because as she said, it is, she said, it's all been loaded in there as part of the education curriculum these guidelines are there how you choose to express the guidelines is up to you so if you are she said depending on the nature of the school she said they teach it in different ways and she said and a lot of teachers just actually all schools just relinquish that and actually hand it out to an outside organization such as inside out to teach this education and they teach it based as if it were hard fact it's not hard fact mm. Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I, I and you know, you 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 say teachers back away from it. I mean, if if you were a pedophile and you got to talk to kids about sex and you got to say to them, "Don't tell your parents if they're going to be uncomfortable about it," there would be. You'd imagine that there'd be some of them that would go for that. And teachers, um, teachers moist children at a higher rate than priests. It's mm. worth remembering. Well, but also when saying, does this sound familiar? And teachers are concerned. Guess what? When the teachers are concerned, they are unable to do anything about it because if they voice concerns around the guidelines and the gender education within the school or actually even discuss it openly, they are then censured by their registration board, their teaching registration board. A complaint can be laid, and these teachers are put under threat. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, the it male is, that picks up gets hammered down. It is absolutely, and it is really dangerous. So it's so important. I think and this is where the parenting comes in. I think we now, as parents, have to actively parent more than we've ever parented before, because the dangers now that are putting that are being put out in front of our children isn't the creepy little man that we were taught at school. Don't go off with the man in the car with the lollies. Stranger danger, stranger danger. That danger is now being instilled in our schools by our government, by our education department. That's the stranger danger. We're parents. It's up to us to stop this. Well, and you know, I know to a lot of people listening to that, it sounds like histronics, but, you know, I've, uh, as you know, taken a real interest into where the tap roots of all this reach and where they reach generally, although unsurprisingly, are a bunch of perverts. John Money, a favourite New Zealand academic who um, 
Victoria University, when they're fretting about whether yoga is a cultural appropriation and stories that are paid for by the Public Interest Journalism Fund, never mention um, John Money, who studied education and psychology at Victoria University, completing two master's degrees by the time he was 23 years old, taught in remote primary schools during World War II, took the position of junior lecturer in psychology at Otago University, conducted sexological studies on intersexual children, sexual fantasies, paraphilias, and especially pedophilia, defending what he called effective pedophilia. He was objected to for attempting to normalize pedophilia. So this guy's where all the gender theory comes from. And I, I have been led to believe, or I haven't found it myself, that Inside Out still refers to him as the father of guides their theory. He's the guy who did the experiments on the twins where he forced one to uh, grow up as a girl, which this kid said never, ever suited him, passed it off as a complete success, his theory that gender was just really a social construct, ended up in one of the brothers dying of a drug overdose, one blowing his head off with a shotgun, and uh, the father killing himself in grief and shame for what he'd put his kids through. His kids stopped wanting to go and see John, this, this learned professor at Johns Hopkins University for obvious reasons. He was forcing them to be sexual with each other and taking photos of them. Sorry to talk about this. I mean, you could get into Foucault as well, who I was sort of, you know, when I returned to academia a couple of years ago, or attempted to, and just I knew a bit about Foucault and having to be just these people so worshipful of them. And a teacher at my kid's school, I think I might have said this before, said, you know, why did, have you kept doing it? I said, no, there's just too much Foucault. I don't understand what, what you guys see in that guy. He said, oh, I love Foucault. And a lot of teachers feel this way, but you can read. And Michel Foucault, of course, for those that don't know, he I mean, he is one of the godfathers of postmodernism. So he, he, he and he he he's the one that brought it into the modern academy, from what I understand. So he's gone and taken a lot of those ideas from those earlier uh French philosophers, um well, I guess philosophers you'd call them like Derrida and stuff, and I think he moved it into well, they, were, they were kind of contemporaries. They, they, yeah. Those guys basically took Marx yeah. after it was clear that Marxism didn't work as an economic system and use it as the social system that uh, well they put we lipstick on they put lipstick on the pig really didn't they that's what well, they did they didn't just do that I mean Foucault um, he, he was a dirty little well, sucker I mean if, if, yeah he, he talked about his time in Tunisia and there was a guy who was interviewed on French TV a couple of years ago who confirmed that while visiting Foucault he witnessed what Foucault did with young children in Tunisia. Ignoble things, the possibility of consent could not be sought. These were things of extreme moral ugliness. In a second interview, he recalled, speaking of these children, that he was that they were eight, nine, ten years old. He was throwing money at them and would say, Let's meet at, at 10 p.m. at the usual place, a local cemetery in the town of Sidi Bou Said, north of the capital Tunis. He would make love there on the gravestones with young boys. The question of consent wasn't even raised. Now, if you've got kids at school, what they're learning sits on a basement of what this guy said. Your teachers have been raised, most academics now, in absolute adoration of this creepy French pedophile pervert who ended his days knowingly spreading AIDS in San Francisco's S&M bathhouses. It's beyond the pale. And it's time we took a real good look at where just the bad ideas of these guys are taking us because it's, it's not anywhere good. No, it's not. And I mentioned before with the interview with Mark, we talked about what do, what do parents do? What do the you and I's of this world do? And the biggest thing is you've asked questions. Go into school and actually ask what it is that's going down at school. What, you know, if you're concerned about a particular curriculum subject, check and see what's going on. I know for one of my sons, he's actually just switched schools recently. And that was purely because of logistics of getting him to school caused from the cyclone. So that's why we made the move. But he did say to me now that he switched from what was a Presbyterian state integrated school to a Catholic state integrated school, which is where his older brother is. And he came home and he said, oh, mum, it's so nice to have maths and English without all this climate bullshit. Wow. 
And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, they stick climate change like in everything. Amazing. And I actually felt dreadful. I didn't realise it was that bad. And I said, babe, why didn't you say something to me sooner? And he said, oh, I just thought that that's how it was. Oh, I, don't, I don't want, you know, anything like that. Teenage boys. <laughs> yeah. You've got, you've got to look forward. You've got that to look forward to. It, well, yeah. you know, it's creeping in earlier and earlier. I mean, I'm, I'm – uh... I'm trying to, to school my uh, my kids up on, on the Minoan warm period and the med- medieval warm period. It's sort of like a vaccination. Because the openness that they have in schools about the stuff and the, and the level of indoctrination, that's what amazes me. And I did say to um, the boys, because they're now at Catholic school, and so the Catholics, because these things are guidelines and they allow special character schools or schools in different cultural areas to put their own flavour on the learning. So that is actually a good thing because it means that stuff that is in curriculum, that's set in curriculum, particularly if you're state integrated, so you have to teach it, they are able to apply it in such a way that is uh, suitable to their to their classrooms. Uh, and I, I, when the gender and sex stuff came up at school, bearing in mind that my boys are sort of in their senior years at high school now, I've said to the kids, I said, oh, you know, what, what was the reaction of the boys? And my eldest son just said, oh, they just sat there and laughed through the whole thing. And and, he, and I said, oh, why? Because of the, what was being taught. And he said, nah, for how uncomfortable the teacher was for teaching it. Mm. So I thought, oh, that gives me hope. <laughs> that they're just oh, sitting there looking at it going, seeing straight through it. The most conservative, your, your boys, most conservative generation uh, since World War Two, apparently. Yeah, I've heard I that. I mean, we've seen their crazy blue-haired cat lady aunts and how how miserable they are. That. They, they, you know, you know a fruit by its uh, tree by its fruit. You can see pretty clearly that none of this is making folks happier. No, no, not at all, not at all. Uh, and meanwhile, meanwhile, in uh, cancellation land, our little friends at Anhauser Bush are still trying to backtrack, trying to backtrack on everything there, and it's not working. And now Target. It appears that Target's got themselves into a power poo. I think I mentioned it last week with their pride collection of swimwear. So this is where you basically have uh, little girls swimsuits. And I'm saying little girls swimsuits, little girls swimsuits with tuckable pockets. So you can put your man, your man meat parts away. So they're not seen. That didn't seem to bother Adidas because they popped themselves out there with full man meat parts on display. But no, there is the controversy is continuing and it is now beginning to affect their share price. So their stock has dropped. Their stock has dropped by 10% in the last little bit. So go work, go broke. Well, it I continues. Mean, yeah, it's, it's, I guess, you know, getting back to the complete corruption of the tertiary education system by perverts like John Money, Michel Foucault, you, you, you've now got a whole cohort of kids coming out of tertiary education who believe this and and i i guess they're hitting the marketing departments now and and uh telling all the old fuddy-duddies that this is the new thing and there'll be um dinosaurs left behind if they don't do it so i would anticipate a correction pretty soon look it's going to take a while i think for the ship to turn around but i think the ship is beginning to turn around and it all comes back down to i think people power and it's us you know, talking talking about what's going on in schools. It's Pride Week coming up uh, in well, schools. You know, as I've said before, Marie, it, you know, I, I'm less interested in or my position on things being correct than I am on the importance of having the debate. I, I think that's really important for us to keep emphasising. The problem has been that people like Seymour, well, people like every single politician uh, in the beehive, blocked the debate. The media mm. blocked the debate. The medical council blocked the debate. Schools blocked the debate. That's a very, very dangerous thing to do. But it's because the science is settled, Martin. Well, anyone who studied science... <laughs> knows that, that science is never settled. Just had literally just this alert come up. The latest national chain facing boycotts uh, for selling LGBT onesies for babies is Coles, another one for Pride Month. So I'm actually picking this Pride Month, um, get your popcorn, it's all, it's all going to go off. And again, I want to emphasise, I'm not against 
lesbians were gays. Never have been. Best friends gay. I've just spoken to the most engaging lesbian woman. This is about the ideology. It is the idea pathogen. It is the infection from guys, kinky, dirty, smutty old men like Michel Foucault have gone and taken those and infested it into the people that actually get hold of our kids for a good chunk of the day. And how many of people are out there sitting through DEI rubbish, which is now starting to show up in New Zealand corporations? You know, it's time for us to actually go, you know, you know, speak to the hand, talk to the poor or the claw. We've had enough. From that perspective, or things like you can can check out on Media Matters and Reality Check Radio generally are, are an important reintroduction of the town square. Mm, it's, very it's, much so. And I hope that people listening to it uh, understand clearly it's never hateful, it's never dogmatic. The, the interest is in finding the truth. There's a process for arriving at that. And it's not, in my mind, it's simple black and white stuff that's bleached of nuance and where you're good because you've still got that messianic phase going on and everyone else who opposes you is necessarily evil. Trudeau's the best at that. Anyone who opposes him, you, you know, they're uh, rednecks and uh, misogynists and, you know. It's... Yeah. Andrew Doyle's book, The New Puritans, he describes all of that perfectly. Uh, so it's definitely worth checking out. Have you got anything else to finish up on? Going through the newspapers, and it's worth not ignoring this, there are all those horrendous stories about the gang of rapists who operated around Mama Hooch and the other restaurant in Christchurch. I think a lot of people would be absolutely shocked at the length of time that passed while offending was ongoing from the first complaint to these guys actually facing trial, which was uh, like six years or something like that. You know, I think that speaks to this unholy relationship between uh, big government and the small section of humanity that's psychopathic. Mm. Uh, You know, governments, as we said earlier, need boogeymen. And um, I remember hearing uh, someone recounting a researcher looking into the prevalence of uh, the dark triad in indigenous cultures, and they interviewed some Inuit people and uh, they had their little check checklist of, of behavioural traits that psychopaths or sociopaths had. And the Inuit listened intently and said, oh, yes, yes, yeah, we have people like that. And the researcher said, oh, oh, and, and how does that behaviour play out? Oh, they uh, pretend they're sick and then when we go hunting, they try to sleep with our wives. And, uh, and the researcher writing interestedly on his clipbook board said, and, and so, you know, how does the tribe deal with people like this? And he said, they said very simply, oh, we, um, we take them hunting and throw them in a crevasse. We've not only stopped weeding out our psychopaths, uh, in many ways, modern society empowers them. Oh. And feminism tars all men with the brush of these hideous men who perpetrated these Mm. terrible injustices against these innocent young girls, when really it's better to teach your daughters to look for the signs of, you know, those sort of personality disorders. Whenever I'm talking to a young person who's about to go on an OE, I've found over the years that the one bit of advice I generally give them about travelling is if someone really wants you to do something, chances are it's not in your best interests. Mm, and you can good hear advice. that. Oh, come and have a drink, come and have a drink. No one should have to worry about that. They do have to worry about it, which is why my daughter's been three jiu-jitsu classes a week. And uh, I am talking to them about how it's probably not a bad idea if they never, ever drink. Again, it is the, as you said, it's the normalisation of those predators. And those predators have never gone away. They Mm. are as old as time. And here we have a generation of ideologues who unfortunately are in the media and in ruling our country who are telling people like you and I, I mean, according to Rebecca Kitteridge, I'm a domestic terrorist, don't you know? You know, Mm. white, red-haired, I like to do knitting and crafts, trad wife, I have Instagram profiles. Oh, I have about four of them. Go me. 
this is what this is what they're going out. This is what the Kate Hannahs and Janas of the world are going out and telling people this is what's important. We've got to stop this disinformation. We have to actually shut these people down and shut this dialogue down. And meanwhile, those predators are still out there. They're not being brought to justice anywhere near soon enough. Having excuses made for them. I think I've gone a whole show without a theory, but uh, I've got a theory on this. At the moment, the over the past few years, the biggest threat to our freedom has been stupid women who would exchange it for the illusion of safety and weak, pathetic men who would exchange our freedom for the illusion that those stupid women might sleep with them if they agree with their bullshit hard enough. And as uh, you know, as any good uh, neo-Marxist will tell you, you know, everyone's got an opinions and they're all valid. On that note, thank you as always. Remember too, we have the political panel that rolls around every Friday as well with Paul Brennan and Cam Slater. Uh, Marty and I have both been there. It's a rolling sort of feast. So if you want to catch up with some more political content, do make sure you tune in on that. I think it's around 10 past eight uh, from memory. So that is always loads of fun. So that's still coming up in a couple of days. So that's great news. Yeah, there's but- some great stuff. I was talking to some of the people in the uh, machinery of, of Reality Check Radio and, and saying, you know, we should really have more snippets going out there on Facebook to share because there's some just fantastic programming on there. And it's it, the sheer volume of it means that you necessarily miss a lot of good stuff. But please do share it. If you find it interesting, share it. And, uh, you know, we're not, as I said, we're not hateful people. We want what's best for New Zealand's children and uh, environment and all that stuff. We just don't agree with uh, how people are currently going about getting it. And remember, any discussion is better than no discussion at all. Amen. Well, on that note, Marie, thanks very much again. And same, same back time, same back channel next week. This has been Media Matters with Marie and Marty here on Reality Check Radio. More still to come, including the vocabulary word of the week. Stay tuned here on RCR. Have a great week, everyone. This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio.